0: Welcome to the Joan Carey Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, friends. Today's guest is Sean McIndoe, a.k.a. Down Goes Brown, the great Down Goes Brown, former Grantland colleague, one of the best hockey writers out there. That's right. We're talking hockey in July, as my washing machine goes off in the background. Uh, Sean has a new book coming out October 30th. It is called The Down Goes Brown History of the NHL, The World's Most Beautiful Sport, The World's Most Ridiculous League. And I read this book, an advanced copy. Because sometimes I get the luxury of being able to do that, and it's so cool. And this was a really cool book, funny and informative, much like Sean and his work. You will really, really dig it. You should pre-order this bad boy on – well, you can do it on Amazon, but you can also do it at your uh, various indie websites. Powell's.com is always a good one. But uh, if you are a fan of Sean McIndoe or just good hockey writing or just good writing – do pre-order, it helps toward that elusive, those elusive bestseller lists, which we actually get into a little bit on this edition of the podcast, to A really fun chat, Sean is great, one of the good ones in this business, and I do hope you check this out. I also hope you check out this week's sponsor, friends, that is Quip. Hey, listen, the truth is most of us are brushing our teeth wrong, not for long enough, and we forget to change our brush on time, because most brands focus on telling flashy gimmicks rather than better brushing, but not Quip. So what makes Quip so different? Well it's an electric toothbrush with a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes while still packing just the right amount of vibrations to clean your teeth. Built-in timer helps you clean for the dentist recommended two minutes with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. You've got subscription plans for your health, delivering a new brush heads on the dentist recommended schedule every three months for just five bucks, including free shipping worldwide. So you know what? Here's what you can do. Quip starts at just 25 bucks. And if you go to getquip.com, that's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Jonah right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com dot slash Jonah. Again, that's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Jonah. Thank you to Quip for sponsoring the podcast. Some programming notes. Well, let's see. We have got CBS Sports, of course, is where most of the love and action happens. Uh, you could check out my writing there and also check me out on CBS HQ uh, where I'm doing constant hits for digital video. You can access CBS, CBS HQ on the CBS Sports app uh, or various OTT devices, Apple TV, Roku, what have you. It's great. Uh, you will see me chatting about all manner baseball multiple times a day every day. And other sports as well. If you're into basketball, we've got a great basketball staff. If you want football? We got that. If you want soccer? We got that. World Cup just ended. Anything you want. CBS HQ is great. And you can also get the best highlights and biggest sports stories right now in your inbox every morning with the CBS Sports HQ newsletter packed with all the good stuff you need to see before you start your day. Just go to cbsports.com slash HQ daily to subscribe. And, uh, also some quick, uh, fun updates. So this weekend I will be in Cooperstown, uh, covering the Hall of Fame inductions, including Vladimir Guerrero. So if you're in Cooperstown, come say hi by all means. And, uh, that should be a lot of fun, but doing some hits for Sportsnet from over there. I'll continue to be doing my regular work for Sportsnet writing as well. You'll see one of those. Um, and then also, uh, that's a fun weekend because this past weekend I got married. So that's cool. Hi, Amy. Hope you're doing great uh, fun to be newlywed. So I guess, uh, a fun little first trip is to go to the cradle of baseball and check that out. And, uh, it will be a lot of fun. So yeah, lots of good things happening in life. And I hope that your life is treating you equally brilliantly and that you have a smile on your face as well. So enjoy this edition of the Jonah Carey podcast It is with Sean McIndoe. I'm excited about this. Uh, a friend on the internet, but not a friend in real life because we've never met. I guess none of us ever meet in real life. Uh You know him as Down Goes Brown on Twitter and he's the great Sean McIndo. Sean, how's it going? It's going good. Uh That is true, right? None of us ever meet. This is just like we're all figments floating around in space. I feel like Twitter just invented a bunch of bots and that's it.
1: That's pretty much it. I don't think there's such a thing as real-life friends anymore. I mean, I've got I've got like three real-life friends, but they're all from 20 years ago. And i got to be honest, the, the Internet friends are fine.
0: It, it's I'm funny. Thinking, I'm thinking of phasing those three out. So I lived in Ottawa for literally three weeks when I was interning for the Ottawa Citizen when I was at Concordia University. Like in the middle of the semester, I left. And the only three people that I knew were the people who went with me to – I think it was a bar called Puzzles where we played trivia. Those three people I knew and that was it. Maybe it's the same three people. Maybe you're friends with those three people. Those are the only three people who live in Ottawa. Maybe you it are one be. of the three people.
1: It could be. This we got to get on the theory. There's three people in Ottawa, <laughs> one Leafs fan, one Habs fan, one and Senators Trudeau. fan. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and they're just wandering around to the same four shawarma places. And, and simulating a population. That would explain a lot.
0: I gotta be honest with you. It's good shawarma in Ottawa. No question about it. We gotta talk the down goes brown history of the NHL, the world's most beautiful sport, the world's most ridiculous league. Uh, I have read this. I have blurbed this, which I rarely do, but I was excited when you asked me. And, uh, it's really good and it's very you because it's extremely informative. If you want to get down to it, you can. Uh, but it's funny and sublime and surreal and all that stuff. So what gave you the idea to say, okay, we're going to go all history of the NHL because you could have just said, okay, here's Gretzky or Bobby Orr and let's be done with it. But there's some – um I don't know if minutiae is the right word, but stuff that I just flat out didn't know and I consider myself a decent hockey fan. I had no idea about some of this stuff, especially the old-timey stuff. The, the,
1: the inspiration for the book was a- – Anyone who's been reading my stuff over the years knows that I I love history, probably a little too much. There's, it's, you know, something will happen today, a big trade or something, and it's almost like when I sit down to write about it, it's like, okay, how many paragraphs is going to take me before I sidetrack into something that happened, (laughs) like the 1986 Norris Division, and I, I, and but, but I love working in those the history, but also those weird stories uh in some cases stories that i've i've known for a while that uh you know that you the kind of stuff you find in the back page of a newspaper or that like in a seven one blowout the the color guy will certainly start telling this weird story and that stuff always sticks in my brain so sometimes it's stuff i've known a while sometimes it's stuff i just found out like that day and i just want to share it with other hockey fans but inevitably when i would write about this weird stuff the reaction i would get from readers is they'd say that was great i loved it that was really interesting it was really funny that didn't really happen right like you made that (laughs) up that that was a bit and and i always had to i'm like no i'm not that's not how this job works i can't just make something up and pass it off as a real story and so well a couple years ago when we were kicking around the idea of doing another book yeah. And this was this was right as the NHL was approaching their 100th anniversary and they and the league itself was doing a lot of history and background and that kind of thing. And somebody said you got to do a history book. And I said I'll do it and I'll do all the history and I'll cover all the all the important stuff, but you got to let me focus on the weird stuff. You you got to let me, you know, I I can't I can't go more than 3 or 4 pages being serious before I got to veer off into into the bizarre. And uh we we came up with a format that I think works so i and and i'm excited about it because i think that even if you're a diehard fan you know a lot of the history nobody knows all of it so there's still going to be stuff in there that 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 you don't know if you're a new fan uh or you're a young fan there'll be a ton of stuff in there you don't know but i i guarantee just some of the weird stories uh will be stuff that that you've you've either not heard of or maybe you heard and you had that reaction of going that can't really possibly have been a real thing uh, but it was because this is the NHL and there's just nothing that's too weird for this league to, to put out there.
0: I don't usually redline line passages, but there are a couple of things I really chuckled at and I'm going to read one out loud. We're going to do this. We're going to read on a podcast um, right near the beginning. The new NHL was, in the eyes of the men who created it, just a temporary stopgap until Livingstone dropped his lawsuit and they could reform the NHA. They gave it a year or two at most. It featured five teams, the Canadians, Senators, Wanderers, Quebec Bulldogs, and a new team in Toronto that didn't yet have a name but did fulfill the league's key requirement for acceptance, not being owned by Eddie Livingstone. First of all, that's a Norm Macdonald joke. That's fantastic. I already love that. (laughs) It's great. Great. Who was Eddie Livingstone? Why was he such a pain in the ass? And why were owners such a big factor in the early days of the NHL? It felt like if you had a weird owner, a bad owner, or whatever, then your franchise could literally go under.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, the, the, in the early days, it was you needed an owner and an arena. Yeah. And that was, that was pretty much it. And that, that, you know, the second part turned out to be a bit of an issue because. The league launched with four teams and within a few weeks, one of the arenas burned down and and they were down (laughs) to three teams. But, but yeah, it is Eddie Livingstone was the, was, uh, the owner of the Toronto franchise in the NHA, which was the league that preceded the NHL and was a league that was going along fine, except for the fact that everybody hated Eddie Livingstone. And it was literally, you know, it's, if you've, if, if you've ever done like the office hockey pool or the fantasy football league or whatever, you've got that one owner. That just annoys everyone. (laughs) And this was basically it, except, you know, he didn't just annoy them. He was, they were suing each other and arguing over rights to players and all of this stuff. And eventually they all got together and said, how do we get rid of this guy? Because he owns a team and we can't just kick him out. And they came up with the idea of let's just start a new league that is all of us, but not him. And it'll be exactly the same league, same, you know, a lot of the same teams, same cities and everything, but we just won't have him in it and we'll call it the NHL. And at the time they figured this was going to be temporary and, and Eddie would go away and leave them alone and they could go back to being the NHA. Uh, but Eddie didn't go away and leave them alone. And so the NHL had to continue. And uh, to this day, 101 years later, uh, it's still there, but it, it, this, the league at least as the NHL, would never have existed if this guy wasn't such an annoying prick that everyone else had to come up with a creative way to, to get the hell away from him.
0: First of all, for the record, I am the annoying person in my fantasy league, but I'm the commissioner yeah. of the fantasy league, and I can't kick myself out, so screw you, rest of the league of leagues. There you go. Uh, what is your favorite old-timey penalty?
1: Oh, man, the uh, yeah, the old-school rules. Well, my favorite was the one that... Um, it was, I think it was Dave Stubbs, who was this, this, this great.
0: Yeah, my truck is that, of big,
1: course. Yeah, uh, uh based, just a fantastic guy, fantastic uh, mm-hmm. resource. And he, he found this old copy of, I think it was a, a program that had the rules in it. And there was a, a two minute minor for loafing. Yes. And, and I don't think anyone's <laughs> even quite sure what exactly that means, but I, I, I love that. And I feel like we need to bring it back. Uh, the the two minute the two minute minor penalty for for loafing so that that's one of my favorite rules the other one is and and because because I and I mean I sound like such a nerd saying this I love rule books I love pro sports rule books
0: because
1: <laughs> they don't they add to them every year but nobody goes and cleans them up so there's there's still stuff in these rule books that's decades old that's you know it's it, it's situations that don't even apply anymore but in a lot of cases they're there and there is a, a an old school rule in the nhl rule book still there to this day that, that describes what to do if the referees don't show up for the game and and basically there's a little checklist of, of options and <laughs> when those options are exhausted the last resort is that the players have to officiate their own game
0: oh like pick up basketball it's,
1: or jenny yeah, for it, that matter yeah it, it's it's basically like that each team has to pick guys and it's like okay you're not going to play tonight you're the referee you're the linesman oh, you're you're whatever, and and people hear that, and you go, oh, "Wow, that's that's crazy that that was a rule. It's crazy that it's still in the rule book." But you go, you know, obviously that's that's never happened, right? <laughs> and then you remember that this is the NHL, <laughs> and yeah, it has. There was, and it wasn't that long ago. This was like 1983. There was a game where there was a snowstorm, and it was the Whalers and the Devils. And there was a bad snowstorm, and one linesman showed up, but the other two officials, back then there was there was three, didn't show up. And so they actually had to for the first and only time in league history, enact this rule and go to each team and say, you got to give us one of your healthy scratches has to come with us because they're refing this game. And that was a that counted in the standings and and uh, they both of these teams had, had you know had these guys out there. one of them was like the one of the team's tough guys and he was like, I was praying for a fight. That I could get in there and break up and uh, and do some damage, but unfortunately that that didn't happen. But he did get to kick Ron Francis out of a face-off. so uh, it, that's it, that's the kind of stuff I love because it I feel like every league's got its weird stuff, but the NHL is the only one where the weird so often goes from like the hypothetical to okay, now I'm going to tell you how this actually happened, and you're not going to believe the story, but here it is.
0: If I had to take a guess at which player was actually officiating that game, I don't know why. It's got to be Steve Tambellini. I feel like Steve Tambellini swung that game one way or another. I don't even know if he played for the Whalers or the Devils in 1983, but I think he did, and I think something happened. I'm saying it's the Tambellini kind of thing.
1: It, you know what? He's got a linesman's name. It's yeah. I, I think so. Tambellini uh combo yes, would have been
0: Scalpanella. Yes. Oh my. Scampy. It's it is Scampy. I I had like when you grew up in Canada. Hockey cards are as ubiquitous as baseball cards, if not more so. So you just the names are emblazoned in your head, and that's exactly the right era for me, because I'm born in seventy-four. So when are you gonna play more knockdowns and tops and and all that stuff than when you're, you know, eight, nine years old? So I must have had like sixteen Steve Tambellini cards, and I don't see any notes about it being official, so I don't know about that. We'll see. Um I wanna ask you about the only first place team in NHL history ever to not make the playoffs. This also cannot be a real story, except apparently it's a real story. And actually, I found it, like, poignant and sad and whatever, considering what happened with the history of the city, that, uh, hockey never really came back there in its form. So what went down that year that Team X did not make the playoffs?
1: Well, this was, yeah, this, this tragic story. This was, uh, this, this is Hamilton. This was Hamilton's, Hmm. uh, shot at, uh, at, at NHL glory. And this was, this was very early on in the uh in the history of the league where there was still you know a lot of the teams were were in flux and this is something that you know by the way i find that a lot of hockey fans even even people who would consider themselves pretty knowledgeable hockey fans don't either don't know or don't understand because we're, we're always talking so much about the original six yes the original six teams the six teams that started it all and and the reality is the original six teams were not the original six teams the nhl didn't start with six teams first of all at least four when three got as high as 10 teams were coming and going and it wasn't until 1942 when the original six era began and even back then it wasn't actually i mean it was six teams on the ice but there were other teams that were dormant and were considered still part of the league uh so there there were all these you know if if, if you think that nhl history started with the original six There's all these teams that kind of came and went uh, beforehand, and one of those teams was the Hamilton Tigers, and this was, I want to say, 19 – I don't have it in front of me, but I want to say like 1925 or so. Mm -hmm. They they had had a team that had been around for a few years, hadn't been very good for most of that time, but 1925 is the season that it all comes together. It clicks and they're in first place and they've got a real shot at the stanley cup and this is back in the days where there's basically three teams make the playoffs there's first place gets a bye, second and third play each other and then you you play for the championship and so hamilton finishes the season they're in first place they're the favorites uh to win it all but at the time the players kind of get together and say wait a second we we don't don't make very much money to start with now we're going into the playoffs we're expected to play extra games we don't get any extra money and so the hamilton players decide that they're going to go on strike and try to get
0: good good for them
1: a couple more i mean we're literally talking you know they're they're not this isn't this isn't big dollars but yeah they're 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 trying to get uh some extra money and Mm so uh they they basically go to uh nhl president frank calder and say we we want more money or you can have the playoffs without the first place team and frank calder says okay that's exactly (laughs) what we do and he proceeds to suspend all the players on hamilton and boot them out of the playoffs and they just go and they let the second and third team play and those teams played for the championship and that was it they're the 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 only first place team to not get invited to the nhl playoffs uh, because they, they went on strike to get a couple of bucks more. And and the sad, you know, where, where it gets kind of poignant is that was the end of Hamilton in the NHL. They moved uh, to New York that offseason. And as, and, you know, fans up here in Canada know, and certainly fans in Hamilton know, have been spending decades trying to get back into the NHL and, and have come very close on a few occasions. But to this day, the NHL has never gone back to Hamilton Uh, since the day that their their first-place Tigers uh, were basically disinvited from the NHL playoffs. Hmm.
0: I also find the rules kind of haphazard, and one of them, I really didn't know this, the first part of this makes sense. So during World War II... You had a situation where they did not play overtime because travel restrictions and all that stuff, and they didn't want to have to get into delays and what's going to happen with this, what's going to happen with that. I totally get all that. But then there was no sudden death overtime from, whatever, 1942 until 1983. Like this rule that existed during the war, why was it relevant when – Gordy Howe was playing, or Bobby Orr, or Steve Tambellini. Why did they wait until 1983? <laughs> I don't understand. Steve Tambellini belongs with the greats. Why did this happen? What? Why is the league so? Is it just that they're hidebound and they leave this tradition? We're going to change it, or they're just lazy? And they're like, oh yeah, I guess we have this old stupid rule. Maybe we should change it now. Like, who guides these non decisions that get made?
1: That's a, that's a great question. And I, I don't know specifically <laughs> on that one. Cause you're right. It's not like anything happened in no. 1983 where it was like, all right, coast is clear. Now we can, and, and you got to think at some point somebody probably looked around and went like, maybe we shouldn't have every team having 20 ties a year. Like I'm old school. I don't mind ties, but maybe, maybe it was getting a little high, but yeah, that seems to be the way for the NHL. Like it, it is so hard to change anything. In the NHL, and it feels like, with with a handful of exceptions, there, there's there's like two categories that they're anchoring with all the time, and then there's the things that once they're set, they they it just to convince anybody to make you just can't do it unless something big comes along. Like the 2004 lockout when they lost a whole season, they made a bunch of changes then because we're all just so happy hockey was back that nobody was really paying attention. And then it was a few years later. We're like, wait a second, the standings are all screwed up. What are you guys doing? Why do we have, why do we have loser points and shootouts and all of this stuff? This doesn't make sense, but it'll never change now because it's, it's locked in. And I think part of it is kind of a hockey culture thing where, Anytime someone says, this, the way we're doing this is stupid, and everyone goes, yeah, it's stupid, and the person says, and this is a better way to do it, and everyone goes, that's a good idea, but here's my version that's a little bit better, and someone says, no, no, my version's better, and then they all end up fighting, and then at the end, it's like, oh, we didn't change anything because we didn't just settle on the, the slightly better system instead of going – and I, I don't know if that happened with, with overtime or, or not or whether it was the kind of thing where somebody just – looked around and said hey how come we don't put this back in but yeah it's one of those great great uh hockey trivia questions you can uh you know you you can get somebody with the the gordie howe scored 801 goals in his career and he never scored a single overtime goal And i remember hearing that as a kid just being blown away being like that's crazy and then like a couple (laughs) years later i saw there was no overtime for his entire career i was like oh you choker
0: Jerks. <laughs> uh, just, he just wasn't clutch. Howe was, just didn't want it. Not enough. clutch. The he, if there's any athlete alive, who, never want want well, not alive. If there's any athlete who ever didn't want it enough stuff like Gordie Howe. Um, my favorite sports. What if of all time is in this book. I was not aware of this at all. One of the owners of the Montreal Canadiens, the illustrious blah, 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 Montreal Canadiens, the New York Yankees, of hockey. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. In 1935, one of the owners of the Canadians was quoted as saying Maybe the team would be better off moving to Ohio. Now, that would have been awesome. Imagine the, the Cleveland Fran- – let's assume that everything else is the same. All the French-Canadian players, I don't know why, but they all go to Ohio. So they have the, the Monopoly on Bellevue and the Rocket and the Pocket Rocket and the Pocket Rick Tocket Rocket and all these guys, and they win a zillion cups and everything happens, and the Habs never happen. Then Mark Bergevin never screws up a franchise, and it sets them back 700 years. And the Montreal Expos are the reigning kings of sport in Canada. This all could have happened. That's all I'm saying. Look, I'm not a crazy was, person. I'm just saying this could have happened. It did It didn't was happen. all
1: that close. And the next time, like if you're a fan of the Carolina Hurricanes or yes. the the Arizona Coyotes and some Montreal Canadian fan wants to look down their nose at you about, oh, you can't even support a franchise. It's like, dude, you guys almost moved That's to right. Cleveland that's right and they 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 don't i don't think they've hung a banner to that that one yet but uh yeah good good old cleveland cleveland that that's you know another story in the book the is 52
0: they almost had a team that's what i was going to ask you about that's very interesting. they
1: had a team they were given a team. Wow. you know the six the sacred original six that that uh, went for 25 years was an original seven briefly because the nhl Decided they were going to add Cleveland as a seventh team. They were, the Cleveland Barons were going to come from the AHL and join the NHL in 1952 yeah, or, or whatever it was. And I mean, this was, this was done. They, they took the vote. They had, they drew up the schedule. They had it all ready to go, but it was contingent on them producing the money. And when the money didn't appear, uh, that, that opportunity went away. And it's, uh, yeah, it's Cleveland's one of the great kind of stories because they keep showing up periodically every couple of decades through the first 60 or 70 years of the nhl's history and then they finally get in the league in the mid-70s and it's a disaster and they're you know to this day the last pro major pro sports team to fold uh and yeah now i i'm pretty sure we're not going back to cleveland again that's that's the end of of their contribution but they almost had the canadians and they almost were the the seventh team in the original six
0: so interesting i love all this is just my favorite stuff so something that's less obscure, and certainly I'm talking to you from Montreal, this is like everybody has a tattoo of this. Like everybody, everybody here knows about this thing, about the Richard riots. But I think that if you, and certainly if you're a hardcore hockey fan, you know, but I think that if you're somebody that came to hockey later or whatever, or maybe you know about it, but you don't know the extent of it. Maurice Richard was not allowed to play in the playoffs because of an incident. And fans rioted, and I find it so cute when they say, wow, the diehard fans of Cincinnati or Milwaukee or Boston. There was a riot because a dude was not allowed to play. I'm sorry dude, step off because Montreal is the king of crazy. That is unbelievable. So what were the circumstances that led to people rioting, hundreds of thousands of people rioting in the streets yeah. of Rocket Richard?
1: Yeah, that's. The, I mean, these days, you know, a, a team wins or loses, and then somebody goes out there and flips over a car, and they go, Whoa, "Oh, we got a riot!" Wow. <laughs> yeah, this this was was serious stuff because because I mean, the background here is you got to understand, Rocket Richard. This is 1955, so by now he's established he's the best person in the league. Yep. He's he's not only the most popular player in Montreal, he's the most popular human being in Montreal. Oh yes, and, and not just Montreal, but but French Canada, in yes. which. And if anyone's familiar with with the the, the politics and the, the history up here, there's English Canada and there's French Canada, and you know from time to time those, those two cultures mesh together well, and at time to time they don't. And um, but if you're if you're a French Canadian, uh, the rocket was I mean here he, he was your hero. This is this was the the idol of an entire culture up here in Canada and yeah as you say towards the end of the season there's there's an incident i like i like the way that you phrase that Mm -hmm. the the incident uh was that he punched an official (laughs) oh is that all (laughs) um during you know during a big brawl and he slashed a guy over the head and then and then he punched punched the linesman (laughs) and so uh, you know and apparently that was against the rules uh and so you've you've got this situation where uh you know, what are we going to do? What kind of suspension is he going to get? And, of course, you know, back then, news traveled a little more slowly and not everyone had really seen it or, uh, you know, knew exactly what had happened. Um, but the league eventually does suspend him for the remainder of the season and the entire playoffs. They basically say, you're done for the year. Mm-hmm. And and to a lot of fans in, in other cities around the league, that was actually liked. The fact that he was allowed to stay in the league... Uh, was, uh, was considered to some extent a surprise. There was wow. know, this, this, this idea that this guy had, this guy had assaulted an official. Yeah. You had to do something about it, but no, the, the league ends up going and, uh, and, and Clarence Campbell, the, the, pre, the, the league president suspends the rocket for the rest of the year. Now the next game is in the regular season. It's late in the regular season and it's the Detroit Red Wings, uh, come to Montreal. And Clarence Campbell decides that you know Montreal fans decides he's going to face it head on. He's going to go to the game. He's going to attend this game. He's at you know. Some people are like, that's probably not a good idea. And he goes to the
0: game.
1: The fans are furious. They're they're already booing. There's all this you know. But but it looks like they're going to get the game started. And then a fan kind of gets up to to Clarence Campbell, to the president of the league says I want to shake your hand. He goes out to shake his hand and the fans soccer punches him. Wow. And now it's on. Now wow. it's now we're in crazy town. Somebody <laughs> starts setting off smoke bombs. Wow. They cancel the game. Uh and, and 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 by the way, forfeit the game to Detroit, which ended up being the win that allowed Detroit to finish ahead of Montreal in the standings, yep. which gave them home ice when they faced each other in the Stanley Cup final and the home team won every game of yep. that final. So it, this literally mm. may have cost Montreal the Stanley Cup, but it, a, a riot breaks out out in the streets. I mean, they they are smashing windows, setting fires, hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage. It goes overnight into the next day. Eventually, Rocket Richard has to co- go on the radio and beg people, rioting. Basically, he he takes responsibility for what he did and he accepts the punishment and he says, please stop rioting. Because the thing was, to those fans, I mean, yes, they were mad because their best player had been suspended. They were mad because their team probably wasn't going to win a championship, but to them, it was so much more. This was the French icon, the French hero, being suspended by the English president and the English, the rest of the league. The, these English, you know, they would have never done this to Gordy Howe. Yep. Gordy Howe would never have been suspended like this, and they were treating, and and it was just this this ugly situation, and is to this day considered one of the most important moments not just in Canadian sports, but in Canadian politics. I mean, it, it set the stage for how Quebec and, and French Canadians viewed themselves and how they fit into this country for decades to come. And as you know, especially a lot of the upheaval that came in the sixties, a lot of people point back to that moment as being like literally a flashpoint for a whole sort of political movement and way of thinking. Uh, so, I mean, you know, when you say that we take our hockey seriously up here in Canada, we do and that it's it's never been more serious there when you know the sports and politics and everything intersected to the point where they i mean they practically burned a city down uh over something that had happened in a hockey game
0: Yeah, the Anglo-Franco tensions, I mean, it's less so part of daily life now, but certainly for much of Quebec's history has been like that. And yeah, it completely was a flashpoint. And you know, it's rare. It's not like if Victor Hedman got suspended. Oh my God, the people in Tampa Bay are going to push the city into the bay. Like it's just not, it's just not the same thing. um, we're not going to get to everything because there's so much stuff, but it's the hidden nuggets I want to get to. And and like you write about Gordie Howe, and you could say, Gordie Howe, greatest player. Here's why. And here's his goals. And I remember this game. You don't do that. What you do is offer up a story whereby Gordie Howe almost ended up playing for which franchise because I did not know this either. This was a shocker to me.
1: Yeah. Gordie Howe, the guy that we all associate with the Red Wings, you know, Mr. Red Wings, Mr. Detroit, um, you know, he... he did have his comeback in the WHA and he came back with the Hartford Whalers when they moved to the NHL for the one year. So he didn't technically play his whole career with the Detroit Red Wings. But in the eyes of hockey fans, he did. I mean, this is a guy and and his very, very, very long career. I mean, this yes. this guy is Mr. Detroit, which is why it, it surprises some people to know that he actually could have been and maybe should have been a New York Ranger. Now... This was back in the day. This was before there was a draft. This was before there was any of this. And and basically the way you got young players was you just found them. You you had a scout go and see a kid and, you know, even at a very young age, get his name on a contract, get him to come, you know, come to camp, come, come see us and and let's get you signed. And then that's it. You're your property of this team pretty much for the rest of your career. And it was the Rangers that found Gordie Howe first. And they were the ones that brought him into camp uh, when he was quite I want to say he was. 15 maybe 16 years old they they found about in saskatoon and they brought him to camp and basically what happened was all the rangers veterans just picked on this kid and made his life hell for for the week or two weeks or whatever he was there for you know and there were stories that you know he had never he had never had like a full set of hockey equipment and when they gave him one he didn't know how to put it on properly and they you know they all gave him a hard time and the, you know, the veterans were taking his food and his you know his meals and not letting him eat and, and just giving him this this miserable time and you know i don't know if it was that was how you treat it, rookies or as a hazing thing or if they just didn't like him or they didn't care but you know the, he, he basically you know stuck it out as long as he could but ended up just kind of leaving I mean, almost in tears like of you know it was a miserable experience and that blew any chance that uh, you know that the rangers uh, had to sign him and then a year later he goes and, and visits Detroit and is treated much better. And, you know, by that point he's, he's ready to sign and he ends up, uh, uh, you know, he, he ends up signing with the Detroit Red Wings and, and literally the rest is history he goes on and has 20 plus year career, uh, multiple Stanley Cups and all of that. And, you know, if you're the Rangers, you're sitting there going, man, I, how come we couldn't find a player like that? You did. And then <laughs> you bullied him basically out of, uh, out of, out of town before you could even get his name on a contract.
0: Hmm. Well, they had Adam Graves, so that's something. Uh, I want to ask you about a franchise. We're going to jump way ahead here, but a franchise swap almost happened in the eighties. And when you hear about franchise swaps, it's always like, Oh, those barnstorming Boston Red stockings are going to make a, and it's all 1910. This is like in our lifetime. That the Oilers and the Maple Leafs almost switched franchises. Peter Pocklington, an asshole, and Harold Ballard, a triple asshole, almost yes. switched. How close did this actually come to happening? And why See, was that under consideration?
1: Th- this, is, this is one of those stories where you hear it and you go, this, no way, there's, no, no, there's way. no way. So I, I got to start with the source here. And the source for this story is Peter Pocklington himself. Mm-hmm. He put this in a book and he swears that this happened Harold Ballard is dead by now thankfully but yes. you know we don't know his side of the story but uh the the story that that Peter Pocklington tells is that at some point in the early 80s he and Harold Ballard basically sat down and and rather than talking about a trade of this player for that player were basically like let's just swap cities basically you know like Harold Ballard would take the Maple Leafs to Edmonton Peter Pockington would take Wayne Gretzky and the Oilers to Toronto and there would be a little bit of cash exchanging hands too. Um, but that was the, you know, that, that was it. They were going to just do a, a full on swap. And apparently it was cause Harold Ballard, uh, he, he needed some extra cash or, or something. And, uh, and, and Peter Pockington swears that this was legitimately not only on the table, but that it had been agreed to. And then that, that Ballard got some cash somewhere else and it had a back out is the much bigger market uh, that you know it would be more well, desirable right. and and so Pocklington was going to be paying him you know extra money to compensate but it, you know that was the it, it, peter Pocklington swears that this was going to happen now we it didn't get to the point where it got in front of the league so we don't know if the league would have allowed it if the league would have said no if it would have been the toronto oilers and the edmonton maple leafs or they would have swapped they would have mm-hmm. you know the names and history and everything would have gone with it. it hard to say, but you know, if you're if you're a Toronto fan, and you know you're sitting there thinking back to what it was like in the 1980s Ooh. under Harold Ballard, and you are "Oh, why couldn't why couldn't we have Gretzky or Messier or Curry?" Well, you almost Pure had all Coffee,
0: of Coffee Anderson, like, all yeah, those guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you almost had all of them, and uh, yeah, we wouldn't be talking about any Stanley Cup droughts in Toronto because uh, these these two lunatic owners. Uh, ended up, uh, you know, we're told apparently, uh, really were uh, serious about doing this.
0: Just as an aside, this is why I really, really appreciate the down goes Brown experience because when you're referencing this franchise swap, you say, well, wow, these guys would have gone here and these guys would have gone here and you could have picked any Maple Leafs and you picked my two favorite Maple Leafs to reference. One is builder Lego. Builder Lego or Gaston Gingras is the quintessential 80s player. It's one or the other. Gaston Gingras had the hardest slap shot in the history of the NHL, and he never came within 50 feet of the net. He was awesome. And Builder Lego was Builder Lego. But the other guy that you mentioned, when I think of hockey in my childhood, obviously it's the Habs and whatever, Habs, Habs, Habs. But when it's hockey on TV, whenever the Leafs would play, Bob Cole was one of the announcers, legendary play-by-play guy for Hockey Night Canada, CBC. And I can – the only Bob Cole – like if I were to do a Bob Cole impression, which I can't, but I'm going to try anyway. Here's what Bob Cole says in every game, no matter who's playing, no matter what era it is. This is Bob Cole. Ooh, what a save by Bester. Uh, Always. Alan Bester God, is the only guy. God bless little Alan Bester.
1: He was fantastic. This was this tiny, tiny goalie. And I yeah, I loved him too as a kid. I yeah. don't know. Maybe that was a kid thing because he was like – you know, he, he was your size, he and, really it, was. It, and it seems ridiculous now because these days the goalies are all six foot seven yes. and they have giant pads, and they look, you know, there's no net to shoot at. And here you had little Alan Besser's five foot seven guy, who actually, you know, like most goalies back then, in order to stop the puck, he actually had to move his limbs and react to the puck and not just set himself down and say, "You've got half an inch over each shoulder, and other than that, I'm not going to move." He had to actually, you know, was he, he he would make these great saves. I mean, he would glove saves and he was you know always die- he had to die for everything because he was he was so tiny and you know he'd make 45 saves a night now the Leafs would give up 53 shots a yes. night so it was still <laughs> not a not a very good very good night but yeah he was he was fascinating he was all sorts of fun to watch back then they used to Don Cherry used to have the joke he'd say a little Alan Bester a rubber th- dunk on the Trans-Canada Highway
0: <laughs> amazing um so here's one for you I feel like when anybody talks about sports and they say, well, what's the best era? It's like the best era of SNL or the best era of music or whatever. It's whatever you grew up with. And I say that the best era of hockey is the eighties that it had tons of goals, tons of action. Obviously Gretzky and Lemieux and their primes and whatever, but I don't, maybe that's right. Like, is that the best era of hockey? If you're trying to do an aesthetic analysis, do you go with the eighties or is it like, well, goalie sucked in the eighties. So you can't really make that comparison. Like, where do you stand on this? Well, I mean, the the goalies
1: did suck in the eighties. We we can start there. It's, I mean, you go back and watch YouTube highlights. Bad. And, you know, I mean, if it like these days to score in the NHL these days, you got to go in full speed, Mm -hmm. you know, triple deke, drop the puck back to your skate, kick it back up to the forehand and then lacrosse it in over, over a goalie. And then maybe you got a shot back, back in the eighties. The killer move was you came over the blue line and you just had to skate like ten feet in one direction, and the goalies who couldn't, you know, would start stumbling and trying What's to this? move over with you, what is and they this would just fall down. And you would just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you look back. I mean, Wayne Gretzky was amazing. Yes. Scored ninety two goals. No one's yes. ever going to get close to that again. No. But half of those were just him skating over the blue line and taking a slap shot, and it would go in past a goalie who could barely stand up. So, um you know, I I as far as the best. Best era, the best time to be a hockey fan. I, I, I actually did a post uh, for Sportsnet mm-hmm. where I went through and I ranked all 100 NHL seasons from worst. Wow! To best, which is one of those things, and you've, uh, you know, you've probably been I there. where that. You have the idea. And you go, I'm gonna pitch this no, idea. Bad idea. The goes, oh, absolutely, do that. And you sit down to write it, and no. like, you're eight hours in, and you're like, "What have I done? This was, <laughs> this was, I've bitten off far you're more like than 1941,
0: I can." But I did. Forty-one, a bunch of guys played. Uh, yeah,
1: exactly. And and but I I ended up ranking. I think the single best season. Like, if somebody sits down and they say, "I'm not a hockey fan. I don't like it. I don't know anything about it." Yeah. Give me one season to sell me. I'm I'm showing them the 1992-93 season.
0: That's before because it, the Devils start the trap. The De- that's like 95 really. because yeah, the trap it's, killed hockey for a while. It's opinion.
1: it's the last it's the last high scoring year. It's yeah. almost but not quite 1980s levels cuz you know may 1980s it may have been a little much. Like yeah. there was uh you know some of the numbers were were a little bit crazy. Yeah. Uh but you know by the 90s the goaltenders are are starting to get good. Uh but there's still lots of scoring. Timo Solani breaks the rookie goal-scoring yes. record. Alexander McGill, you know, lots of 50-goal guys, lots of 100-point guys. Uh right, you Doug Gilmore, LA. yeah. Doug Gilmore, 127 points for the Maple Leaf shatters the franchise record and finishes seventh in the scoring race. Like, people don't remember that. He, yeah. He, he was only seventh. Um, Meryl Lemieux comes back from cancer. Yeah, uh, Just all these great stories. And, and, you know, Ty Domi versus Bob Probert at Madison Square Garden. Yes. All of this stuff happens, and then you get into the playoffs, and it's you know Brad May with the Mayday goal. That's the best. The
0: That's my favorite yeah. sports call of all time, bar none. Rick, bar none. Rick Every Generette, May first, I watch it all the
1: time. Rick Generet just going crazy on that, which is is. is by the yeah. way, Pat
0: Lafontaine made the single best pass in NHL history on that goal. Yeah, the best. Yeah, from his I stomach,
1: just you know, How didn't do,
0: do that. Incredible.
1: Is it down there? And and yeah, so I mean, there's – that big trades. The Leafs go on their run. The Canadians go on their run. Yep. We we come this close in the Leafs and the Canadians for the Stanley Cup. There's the missed high stick, McSorley. The Leaf fans are, are still not over. Then you got McSorley's stick. Yeah, the controversy over there. And I mean, just an amazing season, just top to bottom. Like this is, you know, I I I get a cue sometimes. People say you're so negative about the NHL, and well, yeah, maybe maybe I am. This is the standard I'm holding it to. This is the year where it just all came together and everything fit and everything was the way that it it can be. And it was fantastic. I I defy you to be a sports fan back then and see that and not get sucked in and say this. You know, I I got to. And and then they followed up 1993-94. Scoring comes down a little bit. But everyone figures it's just a temporary thing. The Rangers win. Rangers the won. Cup. That was
0: so cool. Yeah, Pavel Bure in his prime. I love Pavel Bure. What a cool player. He that was. was huge. You
1: know, yeah. Mark Messier with the Stanley Cup. Yeah. I mean, the Rangers were the the biggest team in in the United States at the time. Like yeah. they were, you know, on Letterman and, and everywhere. And you know, you you probably remember this famous Sports Illustrated cover saying the NHL is hot and the NBA is not. Yes. And because the NBA was boring and ugly and defensive, and the NHL was high flying and fun and exciting. Yeah. And then Devils. Gary Bettman decides to have a lockout. Yeah. And and they half a season goes away. They play half a year. The momentum by that point is gone. The Rangers raise the banner, but by this point no one who's not a hockey fan cares anymore. Yeah. And the New Jersey Devils win the Stanley Cup playing the neutral zone trap. The next year the Florida Panthers make it all the way to the final in, in their third year playing ugly clutch and grab hockey they beat mary lemieux and the penguins in game seven Mm -hmm. go to the stanley cup final Get swept by the avalanche and and the dead puck era is upon us and the next four stanley cup finals end in sweeps and the skate the crease rule and it's just kind of all downhill from there (laughs) so it's it's sort of like that that early 90s that was the last time where everything was just just the way that you feel like it it could be and it should be and you know whatever kind of fan you are you like goals lots of goals you like goaltending the goaltending was fun to watch back then you, you like hits. Wa,
0: yeah, good, yeah good goalies
1: you like hits and fights and more fights to have at it that was you know that was the time and uh you know the games evolved a lot and it's you know gary bettman always to this day says well the players are better than ever 100 absolutely the the you know the the game is has never been played at as high a level there is the the there are guys in the ahl today who would have been if you could teleport them back to the 80s would be superstars because the the talent gap is just everybody is so much better everybody can skate everybody is so well coached the goaltenders are all perfect today Uh, i mean that the play has never been at a higher level the problem is it adds up to a product that's less fun to watch and less entertaining and less offense and less hitting and, and less everything and, you know, it's it's been fascinating to me. You're you're a baseball guy. It's been fascinating to me the last little while to watch Major League Baseball and the people who cover it and, and play it and are responsible for it deal with this issue of the shifts and yeah. the way that the game seems to be changing and and just seeing, you know, all these, these people th- throwing out ideas, saying we need to do this, we need to do that, and just comparing that to what hockey was in the mid-'90s where it's just nobody seemed to care, nobody seemed to notice that scoring was plummeting, and you know, not, and and the comparison I make in the book, and I've made it elsewhere, is you know you think back to, I think it was a 2004 when the Colts and the Patriots played in the conference final, and it, you know here it, it's it's Brady versus Manning, it's yep. the big showdown, and here we go, this is our marquee matchup, and the game was a terrible game because the Patriots were the defensive backs basically mugged the Colts receivers, mm-hmm. took away everything. Manning has a terrible game the nfl watched that and they said no we're not that is not going to be our product and they changed the rules or, or the enforcement of the rules at least that off season they didn't they didn't say let's think about it they didn't say let's wait a few years they made big changes that year and since then passing records have been shattered scoring's up ratings you know we know how they've gone the last decade yeah. plus and meanwhile, it was the NHL. Like I wrote a piece for ESPN once, and I and it was the tw- it was twenty years of the NHL saying they're going to do something about scoring and then not doing anything. And it was ev- for every year, I had a different newspaper article where Gary Bettman or somebody was being quoted saying, <laughs> you know what? Maybe if we just change what we we made a slight change to the faceoff rule, that'll do it. Or maybe we need to think about this, but it's too soon to do that for twenty years. Wow, I mean twenty years if i i don't know what baseball is going to do with the shift yeah. i promise you it's not going to be exactly the same 20 years from now is it but the nhl and and to me that's going to be you know gary bettman's legacy even maybe more than the lockouts and concussions and the booing and everything else is going to be he's the leader who didn't lead when the quality of his product was just going downhill year after year after year
0: well, and we're defining terms here. I mean, literally, the title—the most, the world's most beautiful sport, the world's most ridiculous league. You love hockey, you know. That's not the issue. When you are negative, it's not you saying, "Oh my god," you know, whatever. uh Ovechkin sucks. It's not that. It's that the league can't figure out what to do with the talent and the product that it has. That's sort of the issue. It's, so, I'm is older. this all? Is this all Bettman's fault, basically? Or does I don't know. It's go it's, back it's, before it's, him.
1: It's, it's not all Bettman. It's yeah. it's certainly not. I mean, I, I put a lot of it at him just because he's the leader. And yeah. look, if we want to say every time this topic comes up, someone will say, well, record revenue, look at all the revenue. That that goes to Bettman. Okay. Yeah. I mean, show me a sport that doesn't have record revenue.
0: Yes. Yeah. But mean, Sealy I, got I credit for the growth of the sport. You know, I, a, a yeah. dead monkey could have gotten baseball to $10 billion in revenue. Come on. Yeah.
1: And I, and I give Gary Bettman credit for, for some of the things he did. But he's ultimately, he's the leader, so the buck stops with him. But I'm yes. sure it wasn't just him. I he's He's got... All these old school, very old school owners that he's got to wrangle, and I understand you got to pick your battles a little bit. And you know, I, I'm, I'm sure when he sat down and said, "Hey, hey guys, uh, goalies are twice the size they were. Why don't we just make the nets a couple inches bigger and mm-hmm. give give some shooting space back, and let's get goal scoring up?" Because in every other league in North America, offense is what sells. So why don't we do something? Maybe that conversation happened, and then uh, you know he got all the old school time all, all the old timers say no we can't do that i don't know but yeah no i mean this is i'm old enough that i remember what hockey is like when it's not like this where yeah. everyone shots and there's just nothing and everyone just collapses in front of the net and there's nothing to shoot for and you just got to fire it and pray that it deflects off four people uh you know and so when people and it's it's usually younger fans because that's the set there's younger fans now they haven't known anything but this. Yes. They've never been alive for. I, I, the, I felt. I, I've never felt as old and depressed and frustrated as I did uh, last year. There was a. I, I want to say it was ESPN did a thing where they asked players in the league, "What would you? What rule change would you like to see?" And Connor McDavid said, mm. "I think it would increase scoring if we put the red line back, like put back the center ice oh, the offside." Yeah, and. And because that would open up the neutral zone. And I was like, that would open up the neutral zone. Like, dude, do you not remember? Like, and, and I, my reaction was like, were you not around for the neutral, like for, for the neutral zone trap in the New Jersey Devils? And then I realized, my God, no, he wasn't. He
0: wasn't. He wasn't. He literally alive. wasn't.
1: He was born in 1997. Oh he has God. only known this version of the NHL. And there's lots of fans that have only known this version of the NHL. And so when somebody comes at me on Twitter in a comment section they're like you just don't like hockey. I'm like look man don't pull that card on me. I've got way more I'll put my hockey fan credentials up against absolutely anybody out there. You you know you you want to you want to talk memories, you want to talk about the games you've been to, you want to talk uh, you know throw the trivia or whatever around. I mean I've literally written the book now on this <laughs> league. So don't don't tell me I'm not a fan. But I'm a fan who understands what this game can be and i can put what the game is now in that context and it's not good enough and it hasn't been good enough for a long time and i don't mean that i mean the quality of the product not the quality of the play the quality of the play has never been higher yeah. i agree with gary betman on that 100 percent. problem is quality of play sometimes doesn't add up to a better product for your fans who and and this is the part the nhl seems to forget the fans are the entire reason you exist that's it. You're an entertainment product. That's all you are. And as soon as the fans aren't entertained and and don't feel like you're putting out a good product, you don't have a reason to exist anymore. So, uh, I wish they had done more. I wish, you know, I mean, how sad is it if, if, if we're pointing to the NFL and saying that's what leadership looks like (laughs) we're we're struggling obviously, but this is to me, you know, when it comes time to write the, you know, the, obituary for gary bettman's term as commissioner whenever that happens. And, and that any story of gary doesn't in, in the very first paragraph what happened to the quality of the product under his watch i don't think is is doing an honest job of telling his story
0: and just to underscore the quality of play issue this is where we're at you mentioned baseball it's not just the shift pitchers are actually too good now they all throw 99 uh, everybody right. strikes out. I mean, the like, and this has happened elsewhere in baseball history. The pitchers were too good in the sixties. Bob Gibson had a 1.12 ERA. So they lowered them out and then people started hitting bombs. I yeah. mean, and we're probably going to have to go back to something like that. And that's where we're at now with hockey too. And it's doubly frustrating because, and you could correct me if I'm wrong to me, Connor McDavid is the most talented hockey player who's ever lived ever more than Mario, more than Gretzky. He's like stupid fast. He's crazy big. Like, and he's, so you know, he'll figure out the intricacies. I don't know if I have Gretzky's vision or whatever, but like the talent is stupid; it's insane, and yeah. you, you're not getting the full use of his talents. If Connor, if you put Connor McDavid, if you just swapped out Gretzky for McDavid, he might have scored 112 goals in the season in the 80s. I'm not even exaggerating. Yep. It's, no, I'm it's, not. It's, it's I'm, mental. I mean, I've said this: if if you
1: time, like, could invent a time machine and you sent Alexander Ovechkin back oh. to Rocket Richard's era. Oh, you know, and, and told him to go score 50 goals in 50 games. He, Ovec- game. would score, he would score 50 goals in 50 minutes. Oh, yes. They would have no idea. He's twice the size of everybody and faster. And He's a better twice, shot. A, he would, he would be the, you know, it, yeah, that's, I mean, these guys, they're, they're in such amazing shape. Oh, I yeah. mean, this isn't, this isn't Guy Lafleur smoking a dart in between periods. <laughs> these guys are,
0: Hey, it's a flower. Watch it there. <laughs>
1: nobody's coming to camp to get into shape. These no. guys are in amazing shape year round. Everybody skates. It, it just the the way the game is played is it's so much faster. Uh, Ken Dryden had a great quote where he said that you know there you never see them call charging anymore. There's a penalty yeah. in the NHL charging. He says you never see that called anymore because the entire game is now played at charging speed. Charging used to mean you sped up to hit somebody that was charging. There is no speeding up now. You everyone is going full speed all the time. You hit the ice full speed for 40 seconds and you get off Hmm. and somebody else comes in and everybody is so well coached they know exactly where to be they know exactly what to do what you know where the stick should be to take the passing lane away they they, everybody blocks shots everybody collapses in front of the net because that's the only place you can score from and so you know if you it it used to be that a a slap shot from the blue line was a scoring chance and now it's not now if you know if a goalie gets beat clean on anything further than 30 feet out it's a bad goal because these huge goaltenders are perfectly positioned and again this is all it's skill i mean you you take take the worst goaltender in the nhl today and send him back to 1987 Dominate. and he wins the Vezina, mm. uh you know in easily in a walk they'd kick him out of the league he'd be, he'd be too good so the skill the quality is amazing but the problem is you know you they they talk about uh you know in in game theory you talk about a game being solved can you solve this game you know we've solved checkers and tic-tac-toes we haven't solved chess yet but maybe we can't it feels like hockey has been solved and it turns out that hockey in its purest proper form ends up being a 3-2 game that isn't always all that much fun to watch and you know what so so change what that is you know you you, you're not stuck with this this i i love hockey i'm a traditionalist i am i you know i i I would not have written a book about the history of this league if this stuff didn't matter to me but th- this th- nothing about hockey came down from a mountain on stone tablets like th- this stuff is allowed to change uh we're allowed to to talk about ways to make the product bigger and you know i've like i've said just make the nets two inches bigger you would not even be able to see to to tell that difference yeah. from stance if you sat at center ice and you made the nets, made one net two inches bigger and the other one the same. You would not be able to look back and forth and know which one was any different, but it would make a huge difference the way the game was played. Cause not only would we see more goals, but you see more goals from a wider area, which would mean that the defense would have to spread out yeah. and cover more. And, you know, all of this. And, and, you know, people say, well, we need more scoring chances. A scoring chance in hockey is just a shot that makes you feel like it's going to go in. That's all it is. Yeah. So these days, there's not many scoring chances because even when you see a guy gets a clean shot, you know it's not going in. The goaltender's taken the whole net away already, yeah. and there's three guys closing in to block the shot. Make the nets a little bigger or do something. Make it so that you can actually score from some of these areas you can't score from anymore. Suddenly, you're going to have chances. That's what's exciting. And then, yeah, if the game's one nothing with a ton of scoring chances, that's fine. That's a great, exciting game. But these days, we got a lot of games that are one nothing with no scoring chances, and I always... You know, I think back to that great Wayne Gretzky quote where he once said, We're told that he approached every game. He said, Somebody is seeing me for the first time. Someone's seeing me yeah. for the last time. And I don't want to disappoint either one. I always think every time I watch one of these hockey, because I watch a lot of hockey, especially during the regular season. And when it's December and I'm watching Carolina and Minnesota mm-hmm. play a 2-1 game where there's no scoring chances, there's no, I'm sitting there going, like, there's somebody watching this as their first ever NHL game. Like somebody is sitting in those stands or sitting at home flipping around going, yeah, I'll give it a shot. You you put that product in front of them. You are never going to get that person back. No. Never. There is no way you can tell you, oh, Connor McDavid's great. Yeah, you know what? I tried that NHL thing once. No, thank you. And I mean, how many over 20 years, how many people have sat down to watch, give the NHL a try, seen one of those games and gone? No, thank you. And they will never come back. There is no way to get them back.
0: My proposal: bring back loafing penalties. I think that does it. I think you solved all the problems that way. Comedy is the best way to get it. Just get it's just that loafing. It. it would definitely do that it. would do it.
1: I I love how this this like fifteen minute rant started with you asking me for my favorite season.
0: <laughs> You're like I'm not yeah. going to answer your question. Give us the positive. And I was like yeah okay, and then you know just, just
1: fifteen minutes of me getting. No, it's and
0: insightful and it's right. And, and look, I I have to tell you, you know, I moved to the states. In 97, and it's not as easy when you're in a non, you know, not in a prime market necessarily for hockey to keep tabs, and it's in the US and whatever. And I'm back in Montreal, and yes, the habs suck, granted, but like, there's an opportunity there for me to get back into hockey, and I like Matthews, and I like McDavid, I like some of the individual talent, and I'll flip on a game, and it's just not that good. It just, it just isn't, and I'm not, I'm not, it's not that I feel that way about all sports. Like, oh, I'm in my 40s and now sports just isn't that interesting. I like watching the NBA probably more than I ever have like watching the NBA. I love, love the NBA. I love it. I can watch it all day long. I just do not feel that way about hockey. I, I don't know. And no. granted, I was always more of a basketball fan than a hockey fan, but I liked them both. And I just I, I don't have it anymore. You know, I'll, I'll sit down for – if it's Crosby and McDavid, yeah. If it's something like that, but I, I, the, the, the proverbial uh, – uh, what is it? Uh, you know, Minnesota versus uh, Carolina. I'm not watching that. There's no way.
1: No. And the, and there's no there's no reason to, especially in today's NHL where there's so much parity. And you know, I know if you know you look at the NBA, there there there's not. That's the opposite side yes. of the coin. But but you know, the, 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 there's so much. And it just feels like you're flipping coins, and none of the games really matter because all the you know there's two bad teams and two good teams, and everyone else is pretty much the same. Yep. You know, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. And, and You know, I I say this as someone, as you just heard, I I don't know there's anybody out there in hockey media who does as much criticism of the NHL as I do. And I know some people, I I have readers who think it gets too much sometimes, and I I get that. I will say this, let me pick the best hockey game, and you pick the best baseball game, and someone else pick the best NBA game, and we'll put put them all head to head. I will, put hockey, I will put hockey's best game and hockey's best moment against any sport. I agree and with you. you, and 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 hockey will win hands down. You, you sudden death overtime in the playoffs when it's back and forth. You, you know, I will put that in front of you. Give me your very, give me your best Super Bowl. Give me your best moment. Give me whatever you want. Hockey will win. You're playing wheel. on
0: skates. That's the difference. It, you're playing it on. It doesn't skates. get
1: any better. The problem is there's just not enough of it. And and the thing is, I could sit you down. I could show you, you know, Chicago LA overtime from 2015, and where they went back and forth for 10 minutes straight. And I would sit you down. If you've never watched Chicago, that, and after 10 minutes, you're going to turn to me and say, "Oh my god, that was amazing!" And I'm going to say, "Yeah, absolutely, it was." But then you're going to say, does that happen all the time? And I'm going to say, no, 98% of the time, it, it's not anything like that. And It's just, it's not enough there. It's there. And every now and then this league reminds us of just how amazing this sport can be. Uh, it just, if if only they showed it way more often than they do, uh, they, they would, you know, forget about record revenues. They would, uh, they, I mean, they would be crushing whatever numbers they're putting up now, but Apparently to their mind what's happening now is good enough.
0: Uh I pick up the book. It's great. The down go goes brown history of the NHL is fantastic. I can't leave any time I talk to a fellow uh former Grantlander, I gotta ask just something and I don't have any particular thing other than uh what do you remember about uh those days? It was it was fun. Like we again, we didn't have, most of us didn't meet each other, but uh I've had Barnwell on the podcast, and I've had John Abrams on the podcast, and I've had Steve Hyden on the podcast. We just talk, and and just people always have a story, always have a something – is there one thing that stands out for you about like, oh, that day was really weird, or I remember the first time that I met so-and-so, or wow, I got the call to yeah. work for Groundland. What, what, what do you remember about that era? Cause it was pretty trippy. First of all, I thought I was like way too old and not cool enough to work for Greenland I'm still not <laughs> sure how that happened. Yeah. But, uh, what, what do you, what, what was your take on it?
1: Well, I, yeah, I mean, I very much felt that way. I remember telling people, I'm like, I, I, I feel like I'm the fourth line <laughs> winger on like the ascent where it's like, I'm just looking around. Okay, it's just, it's my job to just not screw up, go out there, play my six minutes a night and, and not, uh, <laughs> not mess that up. Cause it was, I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was the best job I've ever had. It was the, the best, best environment to be a writer because, you know, especially on hockey where, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say that the, the rest of the team didn't really care about hockey, but I don't <laughs> think it was that high a priority. So I could just do whatever I wanted. And I could and we just, we had good throw editors whatever. too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the editors were, the editors were, Terrific. were amazing. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh yeah I, I mean it was it was all sorts of fun and i i mean talk about the well, the first time i met who well, I, I barely met anybody because you know and, and i i still to this day think people don't understand that that in at Grantland there was like the la office but almost all of the sports people like we were all over the place yeah just on our own like we a lot of us we we didn't cross paths like you know you and i've never met me and barnwell went out for uh went out for pops like a couple of months ago first time i had ever he's had lovely met him. lovely human uh and uh you know and, and and stuff like that oh yeah he's 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 fantastic mm-hmm. um i do remember getting to down I, I went down to la twice i think once i just went down well no it was i i, I went down because there was the outdoor game at dodger stadium oh the yeah the yeah, yeah, yeah. stadium the kings and the ducks mm-hmm. and so you know i i kind of went to that and i was sort of like i there you know, there's really no reason for me to fly out to California to watch a hockey game. But I said, you know, if you guys, if I went to this game, I could come by the office and, and see you guys. And, yeah. uh, so that, so I did that and it would end up being, it was me and me and uh, Sarah, Sarah Larimer went uh, oh, to the game. So oh yeah. it was, and, and it was fantastic. And we had, uh, you know, it just, it was an amazing time. And we're sitting there like, you know, 20 feet from the ice. And I remember at one point, like I'm in Dodger stadium, which I'd never been. Never yes, been a Dodger, baseball part. fan, but yeah. I, you know I'd never been there before. I'm in Dodger Stadium. Wayne Gretzky is like 20 feet to my right. Wow! There's fireworks going off. There's a rink in front of me. To my left, Kiss is playing. a concert. <laughs> and I remember, like I, I texted my wife, "If I ever get to the point where I'm so cynical that <laughs> I can be somewhere like this and I don't <laughs> think it's cool, please smack me in the head <laughs> because this is this is just ridiculously awesome." And that was. And and that was great. And then I ended up getting to go back when the Kings were in the uh, were in the final. Yep. Yeah. And and see everyone again there. But uh, it was yeah, it was great. I you know I miss it to, to this day. It was uh, it was really a lot of fun, and it was you know still it, it was it was a great site to work for, but it was also my favorite site. You know, like yeah. I, I, my, I I would write something, my stuff would go up. I would go, you know, on see, you know, see how it, yeah, uh, you know, how did they lay it out? What, what did they pay for it? Cool. Did they leave that joke in that I s- slipped in? Yep, they did. Awesome. And then it was like, all right, let's start clicking around and see what else is up there because it,
0: well, uh, it was great. The thing about the site that resonated for me was that I would read about stuff that I had no interest in in any other, any other form. I just, I've never been a huge soccer fan, and time – was it Goodman? Goodman wrote the soccer stuff. I would just read everything. And that I had stopped following wrestling when I was like 16, but I read everything that the masked man wrote. And the Kardashians, I couldn't give a crap about it, but if it was Molly Lambert, of course I'm reading that. There's just, that's what it was. It was that you're reading it and the subject matter did not matter because people's takes were so interesting. I was just like, I'm never going to watch this show. I actually don't know what you're talking about. But wow, this is a really good yarn and I'm enjoying it. So yeah.
1: I- and, and And you know what? The other thing was, it's it it made me such a better writer because first of all to have the you know to have the editors you know yep. and, and you know, like sarah was was you know that the, the other thing though is you know i was writing hockey we had katie writing hockey as well yes. Baker Great and it was writing. like yep. you know i'd write something and i'd be like good. i nailed it i'm i'm,
0: really
1: <laughs> doing, I'm doing really good and then I'd be like, "Oh, look, Katie posted something too." Click, and I would just read it and be like, "All right, I got to off my game because <laughs> I am uh you know, I'm I'm i they got me paired up with one of the very the very best in the world and it was uh uh it, it was it was fun. It was and you know, I I wouldn't uh I I I understand that there's probably a lot of people who read me to this day that would have never heard of me if they hadn't uh, decided to reach out to a recently laid off uh uh, High tech employee and say, hey, dude, if this NHL lockout thing ever ends, do you want to come aboard for a little bit? And uh, I was kind of like, yeah, uh, but the lockout probably won't end. And then two days later, it
0: did, and giddy up. There you go. Shouts to the entire diaspora. I hope everybody is thriving wherever it is that you are our former Grantland pals. Uh, Sean, what a pleasure. This was great. As I said, the book is awesome. And and like, it's so fun and incongruous to be like really diving into a hockey book when it's 33 degrees, as we say in Canada and it's July. And I'm just like sitting on the porch. It's, it's cool. Like I really, really dug it. And I, I came in, I'm like, okay, he's going to have some good takes on Gretzky or whatever. And yeah, that's all in there. But it's the ephemera. It's all that stuff that just really, really rev my engines. I dug it and I think that if you're a hockey fan, you will really be into it. And honestly, I think that even if you're not a hockey fan, you'll be like, well, what? This is not a thing. This is like science fiction. It almost is more interesting if you come in knowing nothing than if you know something in some way. So definitely pre-order it. And by the way, for people who don't know, pre-orders is how you game the New York Times bestseller list. You can sell, I don't know. A few thousand copies of a book, like you can sell no books after the day that it comes out. But if you That's get right. a, if you get a lot of pre orders, you will be on the New York Times bestseller list. This is a true fact. So if you've ever liked Sean's work and you have whatever it is, fifteen bucks, spend it on this book and do not do it when the book comes out. Do not do it when you're a Buffalo Sabres fan this January. Buy the book now in July, even though you're not going to see it in three months. It'll be a happy present to yourself in October. Sean will be on the New York Times bestseller list, and everybody will be happy. How's that? I like the way you think. Yes, I like. Do to what sell. he says. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, man. This is great.